Phrase of the day, Ben. Weird science fiction. There's nothing weirder than Oingo Boingo. Even the name Oingo Boingo. Oingo Boingo, no. Pretty weird. So that's how we're introducing today's show. I mean, who would have thought, too, that the guy from Oingo Boingo would <laughs> basically become the new John Williams? <laughs> this is the funny thing, right? Because, like, the brothers, Richard and... Or is it John Williamson? John Williams. John yeah, Williams. so Richard and Danny Elfman, like, um, who would have thought those two geeky sort of blood nuts would become Hollywood-like dynasty... When I say dynasty, though, like... I thought you were going to apologise for saying blood nuts, but no, <laughs> dynasty is the one you've got the problem with. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, the name is a dynasty, but, like... And, and yes, Danny Elfman's gone on to big, huge Hollywood things, but, like, Richard Elfman's still stuck in the Forbidden Zone, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's it been, 10 years now he's been trying to get Forbidden Zone 2 off Electric the ground? Electric Boogaloo made, yeah. Took my money. I did a crowdfunding for that, and I never got it back. How much did they raise? I don't know. I don't well, know what they raised on that crowdfunder. <laughs> I certainly donated at least, I think, 30 bucks. Yeah, right. You know, there's, there's times when I need that 30 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> These days, every time I go to Macca's, I need that 30 bucks. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean you want a triple cheeseburger meal and a McFlurry <laughs> for under $20? No. <laughs> I want to have a whole conversation about that, but it's not interesting for the <laughs> listeners. So remind me after we finish. We should start a we should start a a second podcast where we just bitch about the cost of fast food <laughs> and how it's no longer fast or should legally be considered food. I've already got the intro song. <laughs> <laughs> but um, look, speaking about the Forbidden Zone, though, that is one of the great, you know, surrealistic, almost sci-fi kind of movies. Start with some Oingo Boingo. That's yeah. the point of it all. <laughs> anyway. It's <laughs> like, a long way to get into just <laughs> talking about Oingo Boingo. Oh, well, we are back for another week of fun. Thank you for pressing play on Good Movie Monday. We're the weekly podcast dedicated to nerdy cinematic ramblings. For those that don't know us, my name's Glenn Cochran. My partner in crime is Ben Halwig, and we do this thing every single Monday. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> What's been happening in Benland over the last week, mate? Ah, oh, you know, I've been working uh, pretty, pretty hardcore on uh, work things. <laughs> Just let's keep it general. I don't want anyone to pin me down on anything in particular. Uh, but I, I have actually, and as we'll discuss later in the show, I have been exploring SBS On Demand a bit more. I, I tend to go in waves with SBS On Demand. It can be great. Uh, I find that you kind of have to, you go through it. You find what you want to watch, and then you have to give it six months to, re- re- to refresh. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> otherwise you're like, oh. but then sometimes you're surprised at how long things are up there. Yes, um, I'm surprised what's up there. To be honest with you, there are yeah. things up there that like it might be like frat house style comedies, and I'm like, what's that? Doing the on purview SBS? has changed. Like when I started uh, in film distribution back in 2010, there that was just at the beginning of the easing of restrictions for SBS as as to what they could play. Yeah. And were you know as part of their mandate, mm. uh, and now it, you wouldn't know there was you know, a mandate. <laughs> yeah, there's so much mainstream yeah. stuff on there. But since that whole thing, when they once they were allowed to bring in ads yep. to help pay for it because the uh, you know federal government yep. didn't want to fund Chipping. the ABC or SBS, 
uh, then it, that's, I think that's when it all changed. That's from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. The internal politics could be completely different. <laughs> and I, I could be completely wrong. But Well, I mean, yeah, like for Australian listeners, like SBS On Demand is definitely a good alternative to the main platforms. Like I quite often mm. find the films I want to watch are not on there, but there, there they are, right on SBS. Well, well, that was the beauty of SBS. So, yeah, that's right. For international viewers, SBS uh, originally was the non-English speaking... Yeah. Uh, or, or was the TV the TV station for non English speaking yep. uh, Australians yep. or residents? So yeah, and, and everything practically everything was in either Italian or Greek. Or yeah, they still do. They have yeah. the, they have the they have like multicultural news. They play Deutsche Welle news. They play every morning. You can and now that they've got 12, 15 digital channels, you can get French news. You yeah, can get yeah, German yeah. news. You can get uh, Hindi news. You know you, the whole kind of gamut. And that was always their purview. That yep. channel ABC was the kind of government funded which every western country has one, has one. Yeah. yeah it was the local programming and SBS was the international programming and then you had the commercial networks yeah um and SBS was great because they would and because of the way the classification system works they would often pick up films that would never get traditional distribution here in Australia like there was just no money in it yep. so if, if if an outfit like madman wasn't doing it or Roadshow, if they happen to have like a BBC contract, yeah. you'd find a lot of this stuff on SBS, and that would be the only way to see it. Yeah, uh, it was also you know it's that kind of thing. You know, if you're a, f- a frequenter of film festivals, and you go to MIF and you see, like I would always look at the program guide and see if the film had a distributor attached. Yeah. If it had a distributor attached, I go well, I can probably miss this because it will get a release. Yeah, if it doesn't. There was there was a like fifty fifty chance that you'd never be able to see it again. So I'd go see those movies. But the good thing was is that often they would just appear on SBS randomly. Yeah, and look, you know, back in in our day, every teenage boy was uh, watching SBS after nine o'clock at night. Certainly, it was. Um... That was when I started working in distribution. The the <laughs> salespeople uh, coined the term "French people fucking movies" because <laughs> yeah. they always sell. And they always did well on SBS. That, do you remember The Green Guide? Oh, yeah, I do. Because The Green Guide was, to my knowledge at the time, we used to, like, you know, my mother was the one who was in charge of, of picking up the TV guide. Yeah. So she would get the TV Week because it had all of the soapy stuff and whatever yep. other nonsense. The TV Week told you nothing. Yeah. The Green Guide, however, which mm. came out, I think, every Thursday in The Age, yep. uh, would give you the... The, the the self-rated classification and the reason for the classification. Yes. So you'd be like, AO, which was adults only, high level sex scenes. Yeah. That's right. I'll be watching that. Yeah, it's, it's your reason for watching. That's, That's right. <laughs> it, was the Glenn, it was the Ben and Glenn guide. It was, it was, I was going to say, it's the single greatest masturbatory aid for teenage <laughs> boys in, you know, you know. There Prior a, to the internet. Ironically, there is a Mexican film called Homework, and I thrashed that on... Uh, <laughs> I on, thought you were going to say you thrashed yourself. <laughs> well, I, I had it on VHS and uh, taped it off the tally, and back then SBS didn't have commercials, and so it was the full movie, no stop starting. No and Yeah, and it was just two people fucking in a hammock for an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's all sorts of greats. <clears throat> yeah. Jamon Jamon, I remember it was a big one. Oh, we, um, all right. We've got, anyway. we've got weird sci-fi movies to talk about. Yeah. Um, we saved that for the weird sex movies to talk yeah. about. <laughs> but Next week's show. No episode of Good Movie Monday would be complete without our regular weekly segment. So Jarrett Garn from Monster Pictures will be up soon. Guillermo Troncoso from Screen Realm as well. And the three Americans from the Bonehead Weekly Podcast. Uh, stick around because they're coming up. And we also have some choice songs from two very weird movies. 
And of course, Ben and I are going to recommend more weird movies. But we have a, a very special conversation coming up, don't we? We do indeed. So what is the whole point of this weird sci-fi episode, Ben? Well, <laughs> the whole point is that I've got a DVD to shill. <laughs> <laughs> I should say a Blu-ray to shill. No. Uh, we sat down with uh, the very, very entertaining uh, Gary Alkady, the director of the Australian classic that you've probably never heard of, Sons of Steel. Yep. Uh, which is a kind of a post-apocalyptic sci-fi, eco, hair metal, <laughs> musical. Yep. Uh, that uh, Umbrella are releasing on uh, Blu-ray as part of their Beyond Genres not line only is on it a, October 5th. Not only is it a super fun cult movie, but that you're right, that conversation that we recorded the other day was absolutely awesome. So stick around for that. And being that it is a weird sci-fi movie episode, I do promise no Pluto Nash talk, all right? Because that's normally where my mind goes to. Um, and it I pain, didn't even think of that. It pains me not to, but, you know, just for the benefit of everybody, I won't do that. <laughs> Well, are you about you? Going, we're going to be talking about Bowfinger, there, right? <laughs> alien love. Why you say alien love? That counts. That counts as weird sci-fi. <laughs> Chocolate rain, or is it chunky rain? <laughs> Aliens come down in a chuck in a chunky rain. And before we uh, before we handball it over to Jarrett for a minute, don't forget to find us on social media, like, comment, and most importantly, give us a vote. Rate us. You know, even if it's one star, it's a rating. But we prefer five. Remember, remember that website, Rate Cali. It's exactly like that, except with us. Yes. So, <laughs> b- b- be kind. And remember, it's right. <laughs> it's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this is Jarrett, and welcome to PE Class. I'm going to start with some news. Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction is headed to 4K Ultra HD locally on December 7th. And on that very same day, Roman Polanski's The Pianist is coming out on 4K Ultra HD also. Now moving on to this week's releases, first up we've got Imprint and they're releasing Barfly on Blu-ray. Now this film's based on the semi-autobiographical short story by poet and screenwriter Charles Bukowski and it's directed by Barbara Schroeder, you know her from Single White Female, and it stars Mickey Rourke and Faye Dunaway. Next up is Blue Chips, it's coming out on Blu-ray, this is that sports drama that had Shaq in it and Nick Nolte and was directed by William Friedkin. Then Lolita's hitting Blu-ray for the first time locally, Adrian Lin's 1997 adaptation of Lolita, with Dominique Swan, Jeremy Irons, Melanie Griffith, and a nude Skeletor. <laughs> Lastly, there's a couple other releases coming out from Imprint. They are The Road Home, Harem, and Dezu Uzula. Now, moving on to Mad Men. Mad Men are releasing The Survivor on Blu-ray and DVD. No, this is not to be confused with the 1980 Ozploitation feature directed by David Hemmings. This is a World War II drama. Then the last distributor I'll mention that's releasing titles this week is Defiant Screen Entertainment. They're releasing Dig on DVD. It's a new action thriller with Thomas Jane and Emile Hirsch. And on that, Emile Hirsch is kind of coming a new king of DTV, isn't he? Then the last release is Wolves of War hitting DVD with former Gossip Girl heartthrob Ed Westwick now turned action star in this World War II set actioner. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. So until next time, stay physical. So much to uh, to take note of there. These imprints are coming out like rapid fire lately. Uh, who can afford them? That's my question. Who can, you can't afford to buy all of them. Well, the the Barfly one's particularly pricey because it's one of those big, chunky, you know, deluxe editions. Does it come with two versions of the film or something? Like it that? may do. I haven't, I haven't 
Oh, no, it comes with the Bukowski Doco, I think. Ah, right. And Blue Chips, that's piqued my interest as well. I remember being so excited for that when it came out. And look, at the time, I, w- I was 100% a VHS kid. Yeah. My parents didn't never took me to the movies. Yeah. But I was so excited for Blue Chips, and I popped that bad boy on, and I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> like, I did not enjoy it at all. Like, it was such a kind of, you know, hardcore the politics of basketball yeah. rather than yeah. a, the air up there type, yeah, it's you know, like feel any good given sports Sunday movie. version of, bar- yeah. yeah. But I mean, uh, which means look, I, I, both of those films, I have to rewatch blue chips and I have to rewatch any given Sunday to see what they're like without my expectations being shattered. Well, I love the fact that that brand new Adam Sandler movie has come out and then the basketball one, right? Yep. Which it, it's blue chips. It's like a remake of blue chips, right? But people now watching it are praising it, not having seen blue chips. Blue chips like, yeah. You know, as good as it is, See, is that like, like I've seen it? I've seen the Adam Sandler one. Yeah, I, I was a, not that I was disappointed by. It, I kind of was only because I felt like the kid never come, really comes good. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you keep waiting for him to get to get that fuck yeah moment where he just kicks everyone's Which, ass, and he kind of does. I, but I like that because it's the reality of the whole thing, right? Like, and how much Adam Sandler put into the character, put into this kid. Yeah. You know, he invested everything, and it didn't pay off. You know. Yeah. Anyway, and right. he's still not. No, that's right. But it is blue chips. But I did enjoy. Is it Scott Kahn? Is that the guy who was the? He's the new boss, the son oh, of the owner. Is um, that who it is? Oh, do, 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 no. Or is it? Oh, is it Ben Foster? Yes, Ben Foster. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Perfect. Perfectly cast because Ben Foster is like. That, I mean, that talk about unsung actors. Yeah. Ben Foster is, always delivers these phenomenal performances. Usually as complete assholes. Yeah. But he does it so well. He can but he can also transform into like the nice guy. Yeah. You know, like yeah, I love the guy. Like he doesn't no, he's get great. enough credit. Like from the thirty days of night. Yeah. Or you know, uh the what's it what's the Tim Allen one? The big uh the big hit. Yeah. yeah which yeah. I loved. Like yeah. he's great in that. The the what's the name, the it's not about the bike or whatever it is, the the um who's that guy? The he was the world's number one bike rider for a while, and then he got he got caught on the Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong is in the yeah. Lance Armstrong movie. We um we're doing uh, we're doing great today. We're just sort of oh, what's that one? Well, it's um, Good Movie Monday. We're talking about movies. <laughs> yeah, but we don't know what movies or who they are. Who they, yeah. <laughs> what's the name of that guy from that thing? I feel like every customer that ever came into the video store when I worked there. We were actually um doing this episode a week early like we're talking weird science fiction movies next week um david cronenberg's crimes of the future comes out on home entertainment i still haven't seen that no me either i'm dying to but anyway uh thank you to jared there his pe class i guess is one of the most uh reliable new new release movie update segments in the country it's the uh, it's the only one to, to, <laughs> i was gonna say no to steal from to, i'd steal from fast fiction's the old triple r radio show the most scintillating <laughs> new release review segment in the Western Hemisphere. No, I like having... Or in the Southern Hemisphere. I like I having a segment on the show that tells people what's coming out, you know? Because if you're listening to our show, you love movies. And if That's you love it. movies, hopefully you buy them. It's so hard to keep track and, and actually know what's coming out. Yep, that's right. Uh, so anyway, follow Jarrett's work on the MonsterFest social media pages. Uh, MonsterFest is creeping up on us. So, you know, keep up with their uh, their social media for announcements and, and fun festival stuff, which Ben's not going to divulge right now because he can't. <laughs> 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 ben sucks at his job. So let's uh, let's talk about what we're here for: weird science fiction movies. This is uh, an exciting theme for the show. Um, there's so many weird, wonderful, surreal movies out there, and 
my brain automatically thinking about this and prepping for it went to movies like Brazil and Videodrome and even like THX 1138. Is that how you say it? I've always said 1138. Yeah, either way. Um, but I, I have to say, that's another one that I need to rewatch again because I watched that. I was about 13. Like, yeah. it was like, oh, it's the guy who did Star Wars. It was the first time I'd kind of paid attention to yeah. filmmakers. Yeah. And I was like, oh, watch this. And I was like, what the? Uh, yeah. I kind of lost. I can't say interest. I enjoy it. I can't say I, I enjoy f- it. I do. I feel like it, you know, it's one of those ones that I need to go and rewatch. It also feels like one of those those almost student films that every director has to make to get somewhere. It's like John Carpenter had like Dark Star, right? And yeah. this, this was his version of that. But Although Dark Star is a lot more entertaining. Oh, than yeah. Tish. You know what I mean? Like they, they do some kind of weird surrealistic kind of art piece you yeah. know, and that sort of gets their, their attention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The others. But um, so yeah, I was wondering, do I go obscure? Do I go for hidden gems? And I ended up going for a movie that is controversial in that me liking it will probably not float with everybody. <laughs> it's a movie that's are they so... Are they people who have ever listened to the show before? Because uh, <laughs> if they have, they should be used to this by now. Yeah. What's, I mean, a, what's a movie that's universally hated, that like everyone can agree okay, on? So that's the one that Glenn likes. You can, uh, you can enlighten me afterwards as to why people hate this, because I can't quite work it out. It is 2015, the Wachowski space opera, Jupiter Ascending. So this is the movie that... Jesus Christ. Yeah. Not in a million years did I imagine that this is where you were going to go, the dog alien movie? Yes, this is. This movie has... The hate for it is overwhelming, and yet I feel like the term space opera is where everybody misunderstands it. I don't think everyone latches onto the space opera part of it. Because, I mean, I find this movie to be really fun, exciting, very comic book-like space adventure type of thing. Like, it feels classic to me in many ways. It's got, uh, speaking of dog man, it's got Channing Tatum as the, the dog alien. It's got Mila Kunis, Eddie Redmayne, Sean Bean, Dallas Booth, James Darcy, Terry Gilliam is even in it. Like, it is an, an amazing cast. But, admittedly, although, admittedly, I don't know why the Wachowskis keep using Kit Curry because I think he's one of the worst actors on the fucking planet that they keep putting him in movies. But, is he the, the Aussie? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't like him. He's a guy from Grant's days and... Yeah. Yeah, do not like him. But, I mean, it's a complicated story, very hard one to sort of describe here, but the crux of it is a working class girl suddenly finds herself swept up into like a cosmic adventure to save the world. She's an intergalactic princess. Yes, but she doesn't know it. She's like, she's just a cleaner, a hotel cleaner, and she gets swept up into this adventure where she's got to save the world from a malevolent intergalactic emperor. The most glorious piece of science fiction in the (laughs) film is that Mila Kunis is is an ugly duckling (laughs) hotel cleaner that no one has noticed that that she is gorgeous. They just don't put makeup on her in those scenes. Yeah. But look, I look. I, I don't understand the hate. Can you enlighten me? What what is it that people look? To be honest, I I don't know if I can because after watching this film theatrically, yeah. I the only times I've ever thought about it again is when like Dad will be like looking for a movie to watch and he'll be like, oh maybe I'll put this on. No, <laughs> no. You've watched it three times already. We've had this discussion. It's terrible. But here's the thing. Like I like to say in conversation that I'm not a huge fan of the Wachowskis because I don't think I am. And yet there's maybe four movies there that I can say are fucking great. And Speed Racer, one of them? I love Speed Racer. Speed Racer's great. I think great. that's a great movie. Uh, v for Vendetta. They didn't direct it, but they wrote it and produced it. That, I, like, I don't remember really anything about V for I Vendetta. I love that one. Um, and obviously the first Matrix is pretty good. I don't love it, but 
But I, I, I do yeah. think there's a lot of tosh. I think they make a lot of tosh. And this is obviously everybody lumps this one in with that. Like, Well, I'm glad you didn't say Cloud Atlas at least. <laughs> do you know Tom Hanks considers that one of his favourite movies that, that he's made? Yeah, maybe he's looking at it from a different perspective. He, uh, the, uh, the, the adventure the that he went us. on as a, as a process. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, look, I, honestly, I, I don't remember that much about it except for remembering that it, I didn't, I thought, When's this going to get good? And uh, yeah, that's it, right at the end of the movie. Yeah, well, look, okay, it's, it's, it's big, not. it's flashy, it's a big screen movie. I I would love to go back to the cinemas and watch it again. And look, I'm under no illusion, you know. That... I would love to see the 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 cinema programmer who was like, you know what, Jupiter Ascending. That's the movie we should bring back to the big screen because we've got one ticket sold. Hey, the, the Astor might double feature with Cloud Atlas. I can't get. <laughs> We've been trying to get uh, Zach at the Astor to play uh, Die Hard 3 for years. Oh, I'd be just, there. I'd be there. He was like, no one wants to see that. I can't. If he's not playing Die Hard 3, he's not playing Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> unless, someone's, unless it's a private booking. There's the double feature. It'll, it'll... Yeah, Die Hard 3 and Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> the only two people in the audience will be you and me. <laughs> And I will be asleep at the start of by the start of Jupiter Ascending. Oh, who wouldn't want to go to the cinemas to see Die Hard Three? Like I went to the cinemas and saw that theatrically when it came out. It was one of the best times of my life. Yeah, it I is such it. a fun movie. I would argue it's as good as the first movie. Like you know, the first movie has its place and it's a classic because it kind of was one of a kind at the time. But when you're doing a sequel to that, number two just rehashed the first one, but number three reinvented the wheel. Like yeah, I no, I thoroughly enjoy. I, I've enjoyed. All of them. Except the Russian one? Except for the Russian yeah, one. Yeah, same here. I particularly like number four, the one with yeah. Timothy Oliphant. I yeah. thought that was really good. I really like it. Yeah. Like, it really, it knows it knows its own reputation in that film. Yep. And, like, even they're incredulous about it. And I'm glad that the Aussie release got the F-bomb one. Remember the Americans yeah. cut out the, the yippee-ki-yay motherfucker? But Aussies got it. Why would they? They wanted the PG rating over there. And they said so they cut it. And it was like yippee ki mother, and then an explosion covers up the rest of the... <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Now I want to do a whole podcast on Die Hard 3. It's a, on Die Hard movies. Simon says. Anyway, Jupiter Ascending, there it is. There's no explanation. I, I'm under no illusion that people will you know, disagree with my take on that. But I would say reevaluate, go back to it, watch it as a space opera. I think it's pretty space operatic. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> What's your first recommendation? Look, my first one... Look, I'm a bit disappointed. I did kind of, you know, come up with this uh, theme, yeah. and I feel <laughs> yeah. like my movies don't really meet the brief. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, battle ahead anyway. <laughs> uh, this one is like this one is similar. This, I, I, to a degree, like I think I always think that I'm the only person who really loves it. It is 1987's Cherry 2000. <laughs> like I used to watch this over and over again as a kid. It yep. was for some reason my grandmother had taped it off TV. Yep. And so when I used to go and visit her, it was one of the few movies that I could watch at her place while I'd be there for like two weeks on school holidays or whatever. <laughs> Firstly, I think it qualifies, so you're safe. But secondly, what year did you say it was made? Uh, 87. See, I always, when I see it on like any kind of post or whatever, my mind thinks it's a 60s movie, like a Barbarella yeah. type of thing. Well, the ironic thing is, is that it's set in 2017. <laughs> and it's it's Melanie Griffith. It's Melanie Griffiths. That's right, because my mind wants to say Jane Fonda. Like I don't know what's going on in my head. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's a uh, it's a uh, uh, what's his name? David Andrews. David Andrews. Basically, the the start of the film, it's great. Like the the premise is great. The start of the film, David Andrews comes home and uh, his wife uh, 
Boy's partner, I guess, played by Pamela Gidley, is you know making dinner, and you know then they, you know, as you do when you uh, you know when you come home from work, you immediately try and have sex with your wife, <laughs> and of course the uh, the dishwasher overflows or the washing machine overflows, and they end up doing it in like a pile of suds, suds yeah. and you know then she uh, short circuits, mm. and it basically turns out that she's in fact a like sex bot. Mm. That because you know real women are way too complicated and too much of a pain in the ass for David Andrews, <laughs> so he's he's shacked up with a sex bot, uh, and the model her model number is the Cherry Two Thousand. Yeah, and then when he when he goes to try and get her repaired, he discovers that they're impossible to find. Yep. But there is a rumor that somewhere out in the uh, post apocalyptic wasteland desert of California, there is a warehouse full of Cherry Two Thousands, which is essentially the plot for AI. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Basically, they AI ripped off Steve DeJarno's <laughs> Charity Thousand. Uh, so he then hires he he gets word of a of a um, I don't even know what they call it like a kind of like a a guide mm. that can take him out you know past the forbidden zone into the forbidden zone. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a bounty hunter called E. Johnson. What he doesn't know is that E. Johnson is in fact Melanie Griffiths. He's expecting like a Ben Johnson type. Yeah. And who's also in the film, by the way. Yeah. And like, is it also like Brian Thompson is in it? Brian James is in it? Yep. Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, he's amazing. He's uh, Albert Pune alum. Albert, yeah. Oh, he, look, he's... <laughs> Blade yeah, he's, He does a great British accent in uh, Tango and Cash. Uh, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne, Harry Carey Jr. Uh, pops up. Ben Johnson, as I mentioned. Tim Thomason. Uh, Robert Zadar, the king of the chin, is in it. But basically... So he hires he hires um, uh, Melanie Griffiths to take him out into the wasteland, where he runs into Tim Thomason and his gang of kind of outlaws, who decide that uh, the warehouse is on their yeah. patch and he can't have the doll. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't want to. Yeah. yeah. Suffice to say, at some point, he has to choose between. The Cherry 2000 and Melanie Griffiths. Yep. You've certainly piqued my interest. I've uh, seen it before, obviously, back on VHS, but uh, I really want to watch it again now. It is. A, look, it is, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really fun movie. Like, unfo- like, unfortunately, I feel it's been overshadowed because Steve DeJane's second film is Miracle Mile with Anthony Edwards, yeah, yeah. which is a, a classic. Yep. And so everyone, kind of, when they think of Steve DeJane, they think Miracle Mile. Yep. And so Cherry 2000 is kind of left in the dust. And it was... He was all set to work on Miracle Mile, but it was originally supposed to be Nicolas Cage. Yeah. And Nicolas Cage um, was dilling and dallying about taking the role, and then he had something else, so there was a scheduling thing, and Orion basically came in and said, why don't you just direct it in the meantime? Yeah. And he said, okay. Yeah. And he kind of almost went straight into um, pre-production, at which time Nicolas Cage came back and said, hey, what's going on with Miracle Mile? I'm ready to do it. And he said, "Well, sorry, I'm doing this." And so then, it, then it, it ended up being Anthony Edwards in the yep, end, yep. which so I think it, um, for the better. For the be- yeah, Anthony yeah. Edwards is, is perfectly cast yep. in that in that role. There's, you know, I heard that um, uh, I heard rumors that originally because Melanie Griffiths had just had her, I think it may have been Dakota, mm. uh, when so she just had it, had a baby, just had yeah. had the baby yeah. up when she started on this because originally there was it was a toss up between I think Ellen Barkin. Was considered Jodie Foster was considered Ellen Barkin would have been good because she feels like a robot to me. <laughs> no, she's not. They're not the robots. Oh, yeah, they're the yeah, real, the yeah, real ones. Pamela yeah. Gidley from uh, uh, Aberration. Yep, uh, that great New Zealand film with yep. Simon Vassell is the, is the robot, and she's she's really good. 
uh, as Cherry, like yeah. perfectly cast. Uh, Lloyd Fonville uh, is the one who came up with the original story, and he's the guy who um, did the screen story for the Stephen Summers' The Mummy and The Bride. Right. And he's done some really big. I just can't off the top of my head. I can't think of what the <laughs> the really big ones big ones were, but he, he like, he's responsible for some great stuff. But then, so he gave it over, and this guy Michael Almereda wrote the script, and he is also responsible for some massive um massive films that he's i think he's actually directed a bunch as well but uh, so the, everyone behind the scenes on this film you know uh, are all kind of top of their game yeah yeah seek it out it's it's on a streaming platform i've seen it on it there. is on streaming it's on um uh it's come out on it is out on blu-ray i don't know if it's i just can't think of the name <laughs> of the label that uh, brought it out on blu-ray Having old man moments all over the show. I've got the, I've got it. I bought it on Blu-ray, and um, and it's great. Like they did a really kind of um, thorough. It's a thorough homework release. for the people. We yeah. can't give them everything. Can't give them anything. <laughs> What's going on everybody, it's Guillermo here again from Screen Realm, that's ScreenRealm.com or Screen Realm on YouTube, where we cover all things movies and television. Here is always to tell you about just a few of the movie news stories that have occurred over the last week or so. Beverly Hills Cop, Axel Foley. That's right, the fourth film in the Beverly Hills Cop franchise is heading to Netflix with Eddie Murphy back as Axel Foley and he's going to be reuniting with some of his big co-stars. Judge Reynolds, Josh Ashton, Paul Reiser and Bronson Pinchot have signed up to return to the franchise. The original film saw Reynolds and Ashton play Detective Billy Rosewood and Sergeant John Tigart respectively, while Paul Reiser played Detective Jeffrey Friedman and Pinchot was the fan favourite character Sarge Reynolds. Also in the cast, as was announced a while back, is Tyler Page and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Beverly Hills Cop Axel Foley is currently in production and is being directed by Australian filmmaker Mark Malloy, making his first feature film following short films and advertising. Filmmaker James Cameron has told the New York Times about a bit of a creative clash that he had with Fox over two key elements of 2009 hit, Avatar. Specifically, it was about the flying sequences, and I quote, the studio felt that the film should be shorter and that there was too much flying around on the Ikran, what the humans call the Banshees. I just drew a line in the sand and said, you know what, I made Titanic. This building that we're meeting in right now, this new half billion dollar complex on your lot, Titanic paid for that. So I get to do this. Avatar of course was a juggernaut at the box office and it's being re-released in cinemas ahead of Avatar The Way of Water. Marvel's planned Fantastic Four film now has its writers. On board to write the long-awaited Fantastic Four movie for the MCU is Jeff Kaplan and Ian Springer. They don't really have too much to go on regarding IMDb credits, with two indie films Bert and Arnie's Guide to Friendship and The Last of the Great Romantics. The Fantastic Four film is going to be directed by Matt Shackman, who comes from a lot of giant credits in the TV world, including Game of Thrones, The Great, WandaVision, Succession, The Boys, and more. As of now, Fantastic Four is lined up for a cinema release in November 2024. Still no official casting details. And a major bit of Keanu Reeves news that dropped just after I recorded last week's segment. So I'll tell you about it now, although you probably already know, Keanu Reeves is returning as Constantine. That's right, 17 years after that first film, Warner Brothers has a new Constantine movie in the works with Reeves back in the role as the DC Comics exorcist and demonologist. Reeves will be reuniting with filmmaker Francis Lawrence, the I Am Legend Hunger Games Mockingjay Helmer who made his first film as director with 2005's Constantine. The script's going to be coming from Akiva Goldsman, whose many credits 
credits include A Beautiful Mind, I Robot, Cinderella Man, I Am Legend, as well as Star Trek shows Discovery, Strange New Worlds, and Picard. Goldsman will also be on board as producer, as will J.J. Abrams via his Bad Robot banner. That about does it for me guys, be sure to visit Screen Realm on YouTube, go to ScreenRealm.com, we've got your latest Australian streaming release schedules, as well as the latest trailers, and also follow Screen Realm on social media. Catch you guys next week. Hey guys, jumping in with my little bit of Newsly uh, spruiking, I guess you would call it. Uh, have you got the Newsly app yet? And if not... Why not? I guess you might have seen recently that the Queen died. And, and how do you know this? Because it's plastered all over your social media. But here's the thing. If you have the Newsly app, you can you can curate it to remove that gunk. So if you're sick of seeing headlines and, and tabloid bullshit about Meghan Markle and Harry and all the other crap that's going on, simply tell Weebly not to give it to you. You can, uh, you can line it up so you get all of your entertainment news, you can get your politics, you can get your science, you can get your movie news. It curates it to whatever you like. It is a super app and it reads all of the articles back to you in a human voice. It's very cool if you're, uh, if you're not in a position to be reading, you might be driving to work or you, know, you could be jogging, you could be at the gym, whatever. Newsly gets your news to you in your ear holes with a natural human voice. And we've teamed up with them. So if you would like to experience their premium service, then all you got to do is use the code MONDAY, M-N-D-A-Y. It's Monday without the O, and that will give you a free month of premium. And if not, otherwise, the app is completely free anyway. It is where we would prefer you to listen to Good Movie Monday. So check it out, newsly.me. Back on with the show, I guess. <laughs> Stay up there under the cover 
Do you think it would be a compliment or an insult when somebody comes along and makes a sequel to the movie you've made without your involvement? I don't know. I don't know. I would, I would think it would be a compliment. Because that song was from the much maligned sequel to Donnie Darko, S. Darko. S. Darko. And it was um, called Black Metallic by Catherine Wheel, which is a bit of a grunge band. It's a banger song, as you would have heard, but S. Darko, like, talk about a movie that is universally maligned and panned by critics like i kind of enjoy it have you watched it look i my relationship is a bit more complicated because, because when, of donnie darko or no well because at the time i had just at the time this came out on on uh dvd yeah i had just started as manager of uh, dvd collection in the in uh, <laughs> melbourne yep and i was thrust into the world of ordering and I was like, sequel to Donnie Darko? Oh. Ten copies. <laughs> yeah. And they stunk up my shelves <laughs> for about a year until Nobody I could return it. them. Nobody it liked it. It did not do well at all. Tell you I what, was... though. I think it's got a pretty good soundtrack, particularly looking for songs to play on today's show, going through that soundtrack. I'm like, they really kind of tried to match the vibe of the first soundtrack, like the original one, which, was, which was great. I find that it's amazing how, and this has always been my problem with buying soundtracks. Yeah. Is it because, I mean, as the show has evidenced already, <laughs> my memory is not great. Yeah. For, for the majority of things, like what I did yesterday, <laughs> what my address is, what my phone number is, those kind of things, is that the, the soundtrack and... The, the your love of the film are completely different things. <laughs> you know, like I, I buy soundtracks for movies that I like and I'm like, I don't remember any of these. Well, I mean, Batman Forever has a great soundtrack. Not the best film. <laughs> Although it's kind of fun. Um, So, there you go. Uh, if you did like that song, as with all the songs we play on this show, you can find it on the soundtrack to Good Movie Monday, which is a Spotify playlist. Just look up Good Movie Monday music from... And it's over, it's, I think we're reaching 10 hours of bangers, mate. 10 hours of songs. That's how much we've played on this show. <laughs> That's a lot of... It is. I listen to it in the car. It's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a mixed bag, I can tell you. 
Anyway, uh, now for the um, the showcase of the uh, episode. So let's talk about Sons of Steel for a moment. And we're talking about weird sci-fi movies. This one this one holds a seat at the bar with some of the weirdest, mate. It certainly does. Yeah, I mean, if you aren't familiar with it, and let's face it, a lot of you won't be. The best way to describe it, and it's very difficult, I, I was thinking about this, and what I came up with was it's a blending of maybe a bit of Repo the Genetic Opera, a bit of Pandemonium, if you, if you know that one, some Shock Treatment and V for Vendetta. Whack that all into a blender, and that kind of kind of is what you come up with with tons of steel. Um, and quite simply, as you'll hear me say in a moment, it's just a mind fuck. Is it, well, I just want to, I'm, to be honest with you, I'm very proud of the... Because yeah, I don't think now. I think I've already given the yeah. the cat away. I've I've been I was been working on the Blu-ray for this for Umbrella. Yes, uh, for quite a while. I'm very proud of the synopsis that I uh, that I wrote. So I'm going to uh, I'm yeah. going to I'm going to read it for the people at home. Do I'm, it. I'm very. Hopefully they haven't. I'm actually reading this off the Umbrella website, so hopefully they haven't rewritten it too much on me. Uh, World-famous hair metal impresario and eco-warrior Black Alice is imprisoned in a stasis hologram by the dictatorial leaders of Oceana, the corporate entity that now rules what was once Australia. Trapped in endless slumber for eons until he is accidentally freed by two barbarian warriors who patrol a vast wasteland, Black Alice learns that the home he once knew was destroyed by an adrift nuclear sub that floated into Sydney Harbour. Determined to undo the sins of the past... Black Alice must travel back in time to stop the evil scientist and corporate stooge sector from destroying everything and everyone he holds dear. Lovingly restored from the original film element. Oh, that's, that's a cell period. Uh, <laughs> uh, do like a... This rarely seen gem will knock your socks off, stuff them in your mouth, and hogtie you in front of your TV. There is no escape from Sons of Steel. They did cut off my... Uh... Oh, no, here we go. The opening paragraph is the part that I'm the... Uh, it's my favourite. The nuttiest, wildest, most utterly insane science fiction, time-travelling, rock opera, eco-terrorist action film Australia has ever produced. Uh, Sons of Steel is a no-holds-barred kick to the cerebral cortex. Once seen, you'll never be able to forget it. And without further ado, let's throw it to to us. To us. <laughs> Talking, to, Talking Gary. to Gary. So Gary, thanks uh, thanks for indulging us in this chat. We're happy to have you on the show. Um, I guess sure. Sons of Steel could be described as a complete rock and roll mindfuck. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's very hard to describe. For people listening or watching that, that have never seen it, perhaps never heard of it, how would you describe it to them? I don't actually. <laughs> <laughs> It came out of my head, man. <laughs> and it was like in some sort of hazy sort of days. So, you know, 1988, 1987, they were pretty weird times. Um, uh, actually, it started earlier than that. It started about 1983 when I produced a heavy metal band in Perth called Black Alice, who were called Gypsy at the time, and I changed their name. And um, because the, I had this vision that an atomic bomb had gone off in Alice Springs and it blackened the... Ayers Rock and the whole schmear. And so Black Alice became an entity. And then I, f I flew them to Singapore um, and uh, recorded their album there. And I just fell in love with their music. So uh, I, we released that in Europe. Everything was cooking with that. And, um, and what, do you, what do you reckon the band splits up, right? Right at the moment when the records come out, right? So I came back to Sydney with the head between my bloody legs and and thought oh jesus what am, what am i going to do now so um I, I started a record label you know and uh i put the record out and i put a whole pile of others out 
um, and um, started making music videos. And then I thought of the idea about making a short film. So I, you know, I went and talked it up with Hoyts, made the short film called Nightmare. But in, in doing so, I flew Rob Hartley, the lead singer of Black Alice, out to Sydney, Sydney to star in the film. And from that grew this character, which was in him anyhow, this, this Black Alice character. He was a sort of save the world sort of bloke, Rob. He, he was a, he, a bigger than life. When he got up on stage in blazers in downtown Perth, he took up the whole stage. He, he was just an incredible person. And, and this, this voice that, that was almost operatic, um, but he was doing, he was stuck in Perth doing ACDC covers. <laughs> so, you know, this was a release. He'd never acted before. I knew it at work threw him up in Nightmare, it happened. Then I just, I took Nightmare around the world and played it at every conceivable festival I could find, even in heavy metal discos that <laughs> sound <laughs> strange term, but it, they were happening throughout uh, the <laughs> Netherlands and places like that. And, and picked up this vibe that people really loved the idea of Nightmare, which was about a guy appearing in a hologram and in the future in a post-apocalyptic world. And, and you know, this, I, I, Yahoo Sirius was my um, assistant director on Nightmare. So he and I actually travelled to all of these places in Europe, flogging the, the film, um, just just trying to pick up on the vibe. At the same time, we were talking up young Einstein because that's what he wanted to make. And uh, we ended up in America uh, pitching it to studios and stuff over there. And, and I got one interested, which was um, Empire Films. And they said, uh, go away and write a script. If it's any good, we'll fund it. I said, yeah, all right. So I came back to Australia and I sat down. I started writing a script and uh, got it together and uh, sent it over to Empire. And they said, we love it. Needs a little bit of polishing, but we love it. Um, uh, we, we could fund it. Uh, we'll just find a director. And I said, hey, hey, whoa, wait a minute. I'm the director. And they went, oh, no, mate. no, no, sorry. We have to make it here. And uh, we have to change it from being... Uh, Australia-centric, and uh, blah, blah, blah. And I went, oh, you know, stick that in your rear. So I flogged uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I it round in Australia and met a guy called Charles Waterstreet, who's a, who they based um, The Rake on, you know, the show The Rake. Mm -hmm. That's Charles. He's a barrister in Sydney. And uh, showed him the script, and he said, oh, wow, this is great. So he funded the development of it. And then, uh, then, then my secretary at the time, Ros Wason, who's in the film, plays Hope. She was in at a supermarket and she's at the checkout counter talking to this bloke checking out. And it was James Vernon, who's a film producer at the time. And <laughs> she flogs in the idea about Sons of Steel. And next minute, we've got a prospectus out and we're trying to make the damn thing. So that's how it all came about. <laughs> wow. wow. I mean... I've yeah, got a few questions to, to take yeah. from that. I mean, firstly, like, what does a heavy metal disco look like? But we can put that aside. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I'm wondering, like, you know, you were initially given this offer to, to make it overseas, you know, with another director. Yeah. Were there any, like, you know, in hindsight, were there any regrets in turning that down? Or are you completely happy that you stuck to your guns and got it made the way you did? I, the, there's two, two sides to that coin. One, I probably would have made... I would have had made the film that I wanted, except that, except it would have been missing the Australian components, mm. and, and that that would have destroyed it. Yeah. But the other side of it, 
was that I couldn't get to make the film I wanted to make here because I had a limited budget. I, you know, I had the catering budget of an American film, yeah. you know. And, and even then, you know, I, we raised $3 million. By the time we paid off all the leeches that, that, that lived in the film industry, you know, the banks, the lawyers, the QCs, the opinions, all of these things you had to pay off. Um, and I had one of the best production designers in the country, Grace Walker, who just came off Crocodile Dundee, right, who fell in love with the script, and he signed on, and I had Joe Pickering, you know, fantastic director of photography. I had all the gun people, the rock and roll jet set of filmmaking in Australia, all attached because they loved the script. I discovered within a couple of months of making the film that I only had $800,000 to make it out of $3 million. Yeah. So I had to put $3 million up on the screen First time director, had to put three million up on the screen. I had to go back to all those blokes, Grace Walker, and convince them that their budget, which was destroyed, they still had to try and put the same look up on the film. So we did, but it was all location. All that you see in that film is location around. There's only two sets in the whole film. <laughs> and it That's was all incredible. shot at night, man, <laughs> at night in, in, in situations whereby the, the Sid, Sydney Council wouldn't even give us the right to shoot at St. James Station. We had to do that and then run away when the cops came. <laughs> <laughs> I guess like shoot, shooting at night at least adds production value because you can get trippy lights and, and things like that to sort of, you know, elevate. Well, it, it ends up with a really stone crew. <laughs> 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 That's what happens, man. <laughs> it, it gives it a really good kind of like Subway-esque vibe. Like, yeah. like it feels like you know it feels like you know it's you know, when you're like between midnight and two o'clock in the morning and you're kind of you're coming home from like a night a night out and it's kind of like this twilight time where you, yep. you, know, you feel like you know you've got all the time in the world and it's not you know you don't have to be at work in four hours or, <laughs> yeah, hours yeah. or whatever the thing is like it you know it really yeah. has that kind of vibe man i i went on a, a bloke took me on a tour of the of underground sydney before I made the film with Grace. Grace Walker found this dude. He does it with this sort of lantern and he takes you down. He's like a decrepit monster out of one of your movies, right? <laughs> and he takes you down. He's like, oh, you wait for the hunchback to come out, right? And he, he's down and he takes you into these tunnels and he go, and Sydney's lousy with them. They're all ex-World um, War II bunkers and they were the way that they used to tra travel between uh, the courts and government house in this narrow tunnel that they rode push bikes up in. 1907 or something, right? Bizarre. And it, they he took me down into this tunnel and it had roots of trees growing out of it from above, like these Morton Bay fig trees, and it was dripping and it was all freak out. And then he turns the bloody light off and it's just pitch black. And, you know, you crap yourself, right? Well, out of that, <laughs> I came out of that saying, I want to put that on screen somehow. Joe, how do I shoot in the dark? <laughs> <Yeah>. And he did it. <laughs> Certainly did. Certainly did. It it's is. funny though. There's like that era when this film came out. There were I won't say um, films that were just like this, but there was a, there was a there was a feeling in cinema in Australia because you had like Smoke 'Em If You Got 'Em and Pandemonium and Raven's yep. Gate and Spirits in the Air all coming out around about the same time. Yeah. There must have been something in the water. Was there like a palpable energy that you were all tapping into? What was going yeah. on? Oh, it's funny. Look, James Vernon wrote Raven's Gate, right? He was the writer, right? And I'd shot, a, I'd shot a music video with meaningful eye contact only three years before the film 
which Alex Proyas was 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 in my film clip, which is right. uh, a two-up film clip, Parallel World. So he's actually in it, and he 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 and Peter Miller directed it um, because I was the act, so I was in the clip, so I couldn't direct it. So the vibe was there. That's we all talked about this post-apocalyptic type vibe, and you know when I shot when I shot Nightmare, it was all shot at St Peter's brick pits. Uh, George Miller sent people down to look at what I was doing because he was going to shoot. He, he pinched some bits out of it, like the units I had in it. These people that all had red hair and they were they were sort of like zombieoid type characters. He, he pinched them for Mad Max, right? Yeah. So, so he sent his spies down to see what we were doing. So there was a general vibe going on uh, about that. And it was coming out of music because all the rock clips were starting to do that sort of stuff. They're all getting a little bit more creative than just shooting in a studio, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the thing when you when you talk about music videos. That's exactly what your movie is. It is like a glorious extended huh. music video. Um, and which leads me to uh, MTV. I I heard something about the premiere and MTV. What's the story there? Well, I, I used to I, I I managed Richard Wilkins when he first came out from New Zealand, right? And, and Richard Wild. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I put I put together the band called Wild and Reckless, and he was the lead singer, and I managed that band and got its gigs, and I wrote songs for the band and recorded with them, blah blah blah. So we were we were top mates, right? And uh, we toured we toured New South Wales together, doing all the pubs and stuff. Anyhow, um, so when he became Mr. MTV, um, he was always like super keen on on anything I was doing, and and MTV bought into Sons of Steel while other people didn't. You know, right. yeah. um, I, I, you know, we had some awful situations that occurred with Sons of Steel. I mean, number one, the first thing that happened was was that um, I decided I wanted because I came out of the music industry, I wanted to make Sons of Steel a digital audio track, right? So that the the live audio was digital, mm -hmm. and all the music was digital. Never been done before, right? So. Uh, the, the, the crew that was hired to record the sound live, the shooting the picture, um, walked off. When I said I didn't want to use Nagras, I wanted to use digital equipment. So I had to then go and get Paul Radcliffe, who was a partner of mine at the time in, in crime in, in uh, recording music. And, and he had to do his first film with booms and all sorts of stuff, which was a, a real freak out for him. And then... The big problem was that we go to Albert's studio and we do the whole soundtrack on digital, right? Uh, that's the sound effects, the posting dialogue, the dialogue itself, the whole the whole schmear. And then we've got to get it onto optical. So it's got to go backwards. It's got to go to colour film and go from digital to optical. And colour film just said, ah, ah, won't happen. Can't do it. I said, bullshit. Bruce Brown said, yeah, crap. I'll tell you how we'll do it. We brought the equipment from Albert's to colour film and we sat there for two days until we could get it hooked up and working. And we got it. We got the sound across. It was in ultra stereo and that came across. So that, that was just one of the barriers that Sons of Steel broke. And at the end of the day, I discovered, I discovered the trick behind what we'd done is that we paved the way for, um, for, for them to create the, the next film in, through Alberts, which was Strictly Ballroom. So they cut their teeth on Sons of Steel. <laughs> Maybe all the mistakes were made on Sons of Steel at Albert's and then Strictly Ballroom got the benefit of that. I used to say to Baz that, uh, hey, you know, I paved the way for you, buddy. And he went, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> ben, I think we've got a new drinking game on the show, Six Degrees of Separation with, uh, with Sons of Steel. With Sons of Steel, yeah. Be it's the Australian version. <laughs> if I could take you back, like we, you, you began sort of talking about Rob Hartley and like what a, what a screen presence this guy is. I reckon if anyone was to, to play him in like a biopic, it'd have to be Sean um Sean Pertwee, surely. <laughs> like he looks a lot like him. But um he's he totally looks like un- Vin Diesel too, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally yeah. unpredictable and dangerous, you know. The quality he puts on screen. Was working with him hellish? Was it fun? Like what was the experience? He was brilliant. He was great. But but you know, he was he was a bit of a a gym nut. You know, he, he had to he had to be working out all the time to keep that body of his in shape. He's not a tall man, but by gosh, he had big a big body, right? Yeah. And then then he had a, he had a few little problems because he um, uh, it was an unfamiliar turf to him. And one particular one that I could relate to is the fact when he um, uh, we were shooting a scene where they they uh, he and Hope are escaping uh, the headquarters of uh, of Oceana. And they're fronted by several troopers, and uh, and they fight their way out. And uh, a great scene where um, where they these troopers have guns on them, and both of them um, knock the guns away and flatten the uh, the two troopers. And uh, so I, I had a multiple camera set up with Joe, and um, and it was like three o'clock in the morning. Uh, we didn't have much time to shoot. It was an elaborate um, uh, entrance to a. a um, um, uh, an insurance company in Sydney. As a matter of fact, I saw it on Ma- on um, Matrix the other night. They'd used it again, um, <laughs> um, and and so we're set up to do this, and we do a, we do a, a a bit of a walkthrough on it, and um, uh, the gun goes off when Alice not goes to knock it out of the guy's hand and shoots him in the arm, and it peppered his arm with with all the gunk that comes out of a one of those blank cartridges and so the nurse comes running over and they clean it all up and they said oh yeah shoots off um you know he can't he can't continue like this and alice is really grumpy he's going no 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 way man yeah i'm not doing we're not calling this off you know this is a big scene in the movie man we've got to take it i don't want to let's do it i said all right all right let's do it so we set up for it again and uh he's he's really dirty at this study for shooting him so I'm on the ground with Joe with a camera pointed up at, up at Alice and Alice looks down at me, Rob, he looks down at me and just as I'm about to call action, he goes, what's this? <laughs> and and I call action and he goes, whack. And he, he smacks the guy in the head and knocks him out. <laughs> just decked him. And the whole crew walked off. They didn't say anything. They just all walked off. You don't do that, right? You don't you don't smack a stunty mm. because he's leaning into it. He's he's ready. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was that was a lesson for Alice because he had to win the crew back, and it took it took a few days, but he got him. He mm. got him because his performances were so good. He was such a really nice man, and they all kind of understood that he kind of it, it was retribution after being shot. So, <laughs> but there you go. Yeah. That, that was what it was like scary. working. Sorry, I'm curious about the story behind his haircut in the film. Well, he, he rocked up. He rocked up into Sydney from Perth, ready to shoot the film, and he had spiky blonde hair. And I go, "What's this, man? You know, the last time we shot, you had hair down to your bum, you know." 
<laughs> and he goes, oh, man, I just you know, decided to, uh, to, to hack it off. And we go, oh, no, he looked, he looked nothing like what I imagined Black Alice supposed to look like. So we looked all over town and we found this, these people called tribes who were doing uh, hair extensions. And, uh, and I brought them in as part of the, the, the crew of the film to, um, to do all the hair. So I, I sat with them and we designed up all the hair and uh and we decided to shave rob right up and then do all hair extensions on top right down to the back of his knees and uh and that's what it is it's all hair extensions and he he wore them for a year (laughs) 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 he wouldn't wouldn't take them out when we finished the film (laughs) it's almost like a character all in itself between the haircut (laughs) and his voice in the film which is so different from when you hear him actually sing you're right you know, that oh, voice yeah. is, it's like, it's so, you know, <laughs> such an interesting can, kind of mix. Can you get it's, some of those for Ben? Yeah. Do you, <laughs> yeah are they still around? Are they still around? Because I wouldn't mind having hair down to my backside. I don't know where they go. They probably still do them. You've got to have hair to start with, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can't just, oh, you can't just glue it. I suppose it would no, look weird no, if I just glued extensions, it They're extensions, mate. Oh, they could probably nail it onto your head, mate. <laughs> So um, that's so what they invented staple guns for. Right? Are you are you are you still in touch with Rob? Like, where is he these days? Oh, mate, he's, that's another story. <laughs> right. So, so we've finished the film. We've gone around the world. We've premiered it in Cannes. It's clear. It's just wiped them out in Cannes so much. So we're going up to the the main the main theatre at Cannes, uh, and, and the whole troupe of the Sons of Steel lead characters, myself, James Vernon. I get to the top of the stairs and John Hurt's standing there and he goes, are you royalty or something? I said, well, why? He said, because they're holding up everything in this, in this show for you. <laughs> I go, oh, holy mackerel. So that was bizarre, you know. Anyhow, we, we, we travelled this travelling bloody cortege of bloody nuts going around the world promoting the film, right, into, into Los Angeles and everything. And Rob's with us all the way and he's staying in character, which, which worried me a little bit because he was... He was Black Alice. I couldn't find Rob anymore. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know where he was. <laughs> He'd gone missing. It was to do with the haircut, I reckon. Anyhow, we, <laughs> we get to Sydney. We get back to Sydney, and and it's all good. And we've got to start start promoting the film uh, in Sydney because uh, Hoyts, who had who had come down to the set during the shoot, um, decided they didn't want it. They came down during the set. Uh, during the shoot and, and offered me a couple of hundred thousand to buy it uh, for Australian release. And we said no at the time because we figured we didn't know what it was worth until we'd finished it. And then um, and then once we did finish it, they said because we knocked them back, they weren't interested. So we had to we had to put the um, ooh, my dog's gone mad. We had to put it on ourselves. Uh, so, you know, we had to buy the time and put it on in the cinemas around Australia. That's okay. Anyhow, at the end of the day, we're, we're pretty well run out of money by then. You know, you've, you've got, I'd, I'd mortgage my house, my life and everything to try and finish the film so that we could do all the post. Anyhow, um, stop it. Anyhow, um, uh, Rob was staying at the Siebel townhouse and we got a call from um, SBS, the movie show, to do an interview with Margaret Pomerantz. And um, Dave Stratton had already seen the film in in uh in, in Khan and just glowed he loved it 
absolutely raved about it. He thought it was going to be the next massive thing out of Australia. It was really cool what he, how he helped us. And so did the AFC. Everybody helped us over there, all the Aussies. It was great. Anyhow, I, I called Rob and said, Rob, we've got to do an interview this morning at, um, at, at SBS. And he goes, uh, I want some money. And I said, I oh, mean, we've got lots of money. We'll just do this interview. Let me talk to James and I'll give it. He said, I'm not doing anything without any money. And I said, all right. So I rang up James and I said, Rob won't do the interview without any money, mate. And he says, all right, I'll, I'll write him a check. So he wrote a check and I, I arranged to pick it up. So I, I drove to the Siebel townhouse to, to give him the check and he's gone. He's checked out and he's gone to Perth. He got on a plane and left. And I never saw him again. The last I heard, he was a monk. So I, I had to, I had to, <laughs> I had to do the interview in his place, and I had to take over being the face of Sons of Steel, which I didn't want to do. I was, yeah, you know, the, the star supposed to be doing that because uh, all I had was Jeff Duff and um, and Ros Wason and Dasha Blahova. She she got up when did, did something else. Um, Mark Hembro was really helpful. He, he tried his best, but at the end of the day, I needed the star and I didn't have him and I couldn't wow. find him again. I, so I searched for him and I put out feelers for him. The last I heard, he, he did a, he jumped up on stage in, in Perth and just sang a couple of songs with every metal band over there a few years ago and then disappeared into the ether again. So, um, so that's what happened to Rob Hartley. <clears throat> wow. Mm. Were you going to add something there, Ben? I can no, see your face. Like, like. He's like a, yeah, he's like a great Australian myth. Like a, he's like he a is. bunyip or the dingo woman. He just is. Looks like the, the monk with the extensions. With the yeah, yeah. <laughs> did they let him? Did they let you keep the hair extensions when you're a monk? Well, they let him jump on stage no. with a metal no, band. So. I, they all, I think they all came out, and and I think what happened with Rob, I think it wasn't so much about the check. I think he all of a sudden looked in a mirror and saw Rob Hartley. I think it just. The, the character caught up, well, not the character, his own character caught up with the Black Alice character at the Siebel townhouse. Yeah. And I think the realisation of who he was and who this character was, was too much for him. And he just he just couldn't hack it. And out came, I think, the extent. He probably pulled them all out and jumped on a yeah, plane and flew to Perth. That would make a lot of sense. Mm. Yeah. And I, I never counted on that because I saw him as being larger than life. But I think I think maybe he saw himself as being larger than life too, but the reality of it wasn't so. Yeah, you know. Isn't yeah. it? Was it? Who was it? Was it Bill Murray that said, "With people that are new to fame, you give them three years, and if they don't snap out of it, you've lost them forever." I didn't know that. That's that's absolutely on the money, mate. It was about yeah. three years since we started, yeah. since Nightmare to Sons of Steel. Because that, that's that's how they explain explain a lot of bad behaviour with like up and coming stars in Hollywood. Like give them three years, and if they don't snap out of it, then they're gone. Yeah, that's, wow. yeah, that's the way I heard it was that you've got five. You've got five years. I heard five. Okay. Yeah, you've got five years to decide whether or not you're going to be an asshole. Yeah, that's it. Right. Okay. <laughs> and then, well, you know that you see that didn't have to that didn't have to happen with Jeff Duff because Jeff Duff remained in character because Sector Jeff Duff was Jeff Duff. Yeah. yeah, he just played himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's funny you say that because he does definitely give off that vibe during the um, the the premiere when he gets interviewed. Oh yeah, and stuff. And you're like, this guy is like, <laughs> it's like the same character that's playing in the film. He, he still does it. You know, when I when I talk to him, I, I call him Sector. When I when I when I send him emails, it's 
his sector. And he, he does his Bowie shows and everything, and, and, and he tours all over Australia, but he's still still the same guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, all, we're all these years later, and now we've got this really delicious, amazing, deluxe little Blu-ray release from, from Umbrella. I wonder if, like, yeah. Rob might see it on his social media or in a store and, you know, suddenly have a, a reawakening. <laughs> no, look, he's, he's had that opportunity before because I did the Revelation Film Festival over there in Perth uh, back in 2012 yeah. and I did radio interviews and everything and I really I really vibed it up to try and attract him to the to the yeah. uh, to the festival you know and I even I even recut part of the film so that so that I put I put some new songs into the film with a with new vision and at, during the festival I I then had Jeff um, uh, Jeff Duff stand up in the crowd, take a microphone and sing the songs to the backtracks that I put in the film in the spotlight, which just blew the people away. <laughs> this bear was set to singing amongst the audience. So, I, you know, it was a real, it was really exciting and really worked well. And then, um, but it didn't attract him. It didn't attract any, you know, all the other people, even the members of the original Black Alice band came down, but not Rob. They didn't turn up. Well, mm. the the movie certainly lives on. Like this new, as I said, this new Blu-ray release is glorious. Mm. Did you have much involvement with it? Yes, yes, I did. I, I, uh, I you did as it much all. As I could, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know that I'm very happy to be taking credit for all of Gary's work on the. It was a harmonious thing, mate. It was wonderful. The umbrella had been brilliant. It was great working with Ben because I, I, I got the opportunity to put some things on the Blu-ray that I always wanted to. I wanted to spell out some of the story of Sons of Steel. I wanted to show some of the background information. My brother was there all the way through the shoot with a with a video camera shooting it, shooting the you know the scenes of, of the all the back stuff. It was fantastic, yeah. and we got to put it all on there, you know. So it's it's a real great little package, I reckon. It's it's. That's the highlight of Sons of Steel, getting it out at this stage. And finally, it might get to its audience. I've been trying for 30, 35 years to get it to its audience. And, you know, every time I do get it out into a festival or something, I watch the faces and hear the result of people seeing it. And I go, why doesn't, why, do, why is this film not distributed properly? Well, it's, you know, the, only, only three months ago, uh, four months ago, it played in um, uh, the Czech Republic. Right at a thing called Shockproof Film Festival, so I sent over the I sent over the file for it. They played at the festival and they ring me up, send me an email rather, and said, "Hey, listen, it went over so well on Saturday night in Prague. We want to put it on for the next two Saturday nights." And I said, "Oh yeah, okay, that's cool." So they got packed houses, and then on the last night, people came dressed as as Sons of Steel, like dressed as Rob Hartley. And they're all standing up and singing along with the songs in the movie. And they sent me pictures of it. It was just insane. And the whole reason for it's these young people digging Sons of Steel was two things. The music still related to them, but the story related to the Ukraine and the, and the, the fear they had of a nuclear holocaust coming. So it yep. kind of all clicked click with them right and when alice sits on the giant penis and rides it out at the start they all <laughs> cheered because it has made in america on it right <laughs> so oh. you know the resurgence of the film tells me that the audience is still out there still out there 
I mean, th- this should right now be a call call to action for people. Like, go out and um and buy this this um delicious Blu-ray. It comes out what was it fifth of October, I think, Ben. Fifth of October, yes. Uh, both uh, on the Umbrella Web Store and at uh, all good retailers. Awesome. Yes. Um. So no. yeah, I I hope it becomes a, a a resurgence for you, and I hope it deserves to be like a midnight movie, like a, a something that's screened theatrically, like more often than not. Well, it's the books, mate. I've written, I've written, I've written it into a series of eight books. So I've taken the context of the movie, lifted it to today, and made it a more, much more serious. It's nothing, not, not mm. camp like the movie. This is a full-on sci-fi story. So I've written the first one's about to come out. I've written a whole eight in series. So it lives on. Black Alice lives on. There's so, a universe uh, to dive into. Absolutely. He's out there time traveling, the reluctant time traveler, trying to save the universe and, and getting himself into all sorts of shit. So that's him. Amazing. That's mm. all available directly through you, isn't it, Gary, at uh, the sonsofsteel.rocks uh, website? That's it, mate. Yeah, yep, yeah, that's it. It still lives on. I, I'm obsessed. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I guess, and I'll, after this, we'll we'll see you in our spin-off pod, true crime podcast, the search for Rob Hartley. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I've, I've been writing Carter Brown, right? So that, that could be one of the first stories in the Carter yeah, Brown. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> oh, geez, it's it's been so awesome being able to chat with you. I've certainly learnt more about the movie than I ever knew, and I hope, um, uh, yeah, maybe we can talk again one day if um if you know these books, you know take off we can even chat about them we're not a book podcast but i'm happy to talk about it oh mate we don't we haven't even touched on the music so you know we, we, that too uh, yeah there's plenty of that there's tons of stories there so happy to talk anytime glenn it's lovely talking to you mate i love you your as well it's a bit like mine <laughs> yeah. it all looks great all happening and I you love too, where you work you, you too ben thank you mate you know thank you gary much appreciated Welcome to Bonehead Weekly Fun Size, and we're talking strange science fiction films, right, gentlemen? Now, I'm going to go first because I'm officially going to pull out one that you are never going to see coming. It's a movie that has Paul LeMatt in it, and if you don't know who Paul LeMatt is, you've never watched American Graffiti. Nancy Allen, Louise Fletcher, Louise Fletcher from, from you know, Miss Nurse Ratchet. And it had, one of the writers was Bill Condon, who would later, later go on to direct Dreamgirls and write some of those Twilight movies. All right, Strange Invaders is a movie from 1983 that I just happened upon two years ago. Because I'd never heard of this film. Because the first thing you think of is, what's that one where we, where we interviewed the director? What's it called? Space Invaders. And I was like, well, it's not that. It's basically a send-up of 50, 60 science fiction films. It came out in 1983 from Orion. Had a, in 1958, uh, Centerville, Ohio, was invaded by a race of aliens. And the, invade, the invaders could fire lasers from their eyes and hands and reduce humans to crystallized glowing blue orbs. 25 years later, this lecture played by Paul Lumat, And that's one of the things that's hard to believe. If you go back, a lot, Paul Lumat's kind of forgotten the history, but he was a star there for about a split second. And he's looking for his ex-wife and he's gone to this town. And the issue is, is the aliens are disguised as the people throughout the town. And it's weird, but the movie never quite decides whether is it a send up of those things and a comedy or is it taking all that serious and trying to be its own thing by using it. It's a bizarre little movie, 
but I recommend people kind of hunt it out and look, especially if you're a film geek, because it shouldn't exist. And several of these people went on to do other things, like Bill Condon. All right. Well, you know, I'm going to talk about one because I thought immediately strange sci-fi. My mind immediately went to the simple answer, which is Donnie Darko. But then I said, hold up a tick. Why don't I give more credit to the one that I quote way more than Donnie Darko? Because I love Donnie Darko. But I quote Richard Kelly's second great film way more. Because I'm a pimp. And pimps, pimps don't, don't, don't commit, commit suicide. suicide. Southland Tales. What happened to Richard Kelly? Southland Tales is not a perfect movie. But as you watch it, it almost has, we've talked about Rob Zombie in this. It's an experience. It, you it may is. not love it, but you will walk away going, well, that was something. He if got a performance out of The Rock that's unlike anything The Rock has ever done before or since. A action hero has amnesia, meets up with a porn star, there's a heat wave going on, things are weird, and they find a policeman who holds the key to a vast conspiracy. That's, that's the quickest way to summarize it. And Some of that I've already With a musical dance sequence. And it has lines that are just quotable, but if you try to explain it in great detail, by the way, it's over two hours long. Oh, hour it's, 45 it's, minutes. It, it's a commitment. The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Sean William Scott. I mean, it's got a cast that is just phenomenal. It's got some old SNL cast on it. It's just really an interesting film. It also has, if you're if you're a big science fiction nerd, it also contains tons of direct and indirect references to Philip K. Dick. Now, it's not based on a Philip K. Dick story, but it's kind of Kelly's nod. Yeah, it's, it's kind of Kelly's nod to Philip K. Dick. Kind of that, a scanner darkly, a kind of it has all of that going on in it, and it's just a film to watch, folks. So if you've never seen it, Southland Tales. Uh, Glenn and I really liked a movie called Writers of Justice, um, but the director, uh, Ander, Anders Thomas Jensen, uh, he also directed and wrote a movie called Man and Chicken. It is a phenomenal, twisted piece of science fiction. Even the poster pretty much, uh, in a, a, a critic, they they put a critic's quote on it. It pretty much encapsulates this entire movie, a hybrid of the Three Stooges comedy and the lunacy of the island of Dr. Moreau. Mm -hmm. Perfect description of this movie. Uh, it's about these two brothers. They're each weirdly twisted. Uh, one's played by Maude Mickelson in a role that you would never, uh, that you would never even envision him being in. They find out that their father is not their father. And they track, they go to track down their real father they end up on this island where they run into people who may be their brothers. And it is just nonstop lunacy. And it and it has a nice little science fiction twist towards the end. All I can say is there's so many great comedic moments in this. That one of the brothers uh, likes to beat people with taxidermy. Who could, who, what else could I say to pitch this movie? Uh, I highly recommend checking out. I don't want to ruin the, the ending because it has a weird twist ending that I, I just, you just don't see coming. And this has been Bonehead Weekly Fun Side. Watch Visioneers. The cartoon, great. No, no, Visioneers. Was that Galifianakis, directed by Jared Drake? Anybody? 2008, it's about a, a pandemic. We have got to cut this shit. Oh, Jeff. no, I thought you had stopped recording. Oh. <laughs> those those wacky Kentuckians. What will they come up with next? Uh, them, Am I right? Them being Joe Lewis, Chad Jennings, and James Thomas. Thank you very much for those guys. Uh, so today's show was thrown at the Boneheads with very short notice. Let's put it that way, because we had a different 
theme for this show and it was pretty much within the past week that we changed everything and and went from whatever that was to weird sci-fi so massive like massive thumbs thumbs up to the boneheads for delivering that because what people don't may not know they quite often deliver their segments weeks in advance because we give them the schedule and they are they put that together within a couple of days so very happy with that their podcast is great stuff three mates all movie geeks and they are they take a deep dive into nerdy movie conversations so well i think it's it's two mates and uh, james now that he's moved to mississippi <laughs> <laughs> he's he's on the outs <laughs> he's learned He's, yeah. <laughs> so the Bonehead Weekly Podcast. He's, well, he's legal now. He's legal in Mississippi. They're on the same platform as wherever you're listening to this and any other platform that you might come across, including YouTube, where you can watch them do their podcast. So give them some love there. All right. I want to recommend my next movie now. And um, it's one that I have referenced before. And it's um, I thought this was a perfect opportunity to stop and actually properly recommend it. Several weeks ago on the show, we had an interview with the director, Glenn Triggs. Um, to promote his new movie, Dreams of Paper and Ink. But I think he's... I'm trying to think. That movie's his fifth one, Dreams of Paper and Ink. But his second movie back in 2012 was really fucking good called 41. Have you heard of this one? I think I mentioned it. It's a really crafty, clever little time travel story about a guy who finds a portal in the corner of a bathroom in the seedy motel. And tell you what, this, uh, this movie is blown up. It, I'll go through the story first and then talk about um, the impact it's had. It begins um, with a guy who's confronted with another version of himself. He's sort of out and about during the day and sees himself and he, his other self tells him not to go to this specific hotel. And naturally, he goes there and visits it. Because fuck you, you're not the boss of me. That's right. Me. And he finds in the corner of the bathroom in this motel room is a tiny little... The, the limoleum, linoleum, if I could get that word out. Limoleum. Limoleum. Lifts up and underneath it... Sounds it, like, a, like a sausage that you buy from Coles at the Coles Deli department. Underneath the floor is a little hole in the corner and he crawls into it. And when he crawls out, it's yesterday. So he finds this portal that only takes him back 24 hours. And after his first experience with the portal, he comes out of the hotel and comes across a girl from his past that they're old friends and they talk and he drives her home and they get into a car accident and she dies. So he takes the opportunity to use this portal to try and bring her back. Ted's lotto numbers exist in this world, right? <laughs> What's he doing? But as all good time travel stories go, every time he does something with this portal, it affects the past in a different way. And so then he's got to desperately try to make things right one degree at a time. And I was taken back by how clever this movie is because it is just a shoestring budget movie. Like I reckon he would have made this with a thousand bucks at most, right? But the script is great. The performances are fantastic. It's shot really well. And just the actual story of time travel and the conversations they have to try and figure it out. Very clever. But this blew up. He uploaded this for free onto YouTube himself, Glenn Triggs. And so you can go watch it right now. And it's clocked up 2 million views. Like, that's a lot of views for a little, you know, movie that's made from the smell of an oily rag. The comments section is just full of praise. Like, people all around the world fucking have taken to it. That doesn't sound like the YouTube I know and love. <laughs> it is it is a brilliant film. Um, You won't regret it. So, there you go. That is it. My recommendation is 41. It's the number 41. It's not spelt. Um, strange, unusual. Because 42 is the baseball movie. The, the sequel. About Jackie Robinson. <laughs> yeah. That's how he becomes the greatest baseball player of all time. He just keeps going back. He goes, I know that second one's going to be a fastball. Ah, home run. Amazing. <laughs> so they're looking. And also, I like. I really do like Glenn Triggs and I love his new movie. So just 
putting that out there too. That's getting a, I think it's getting a DVD release soon. So forty one or the new one, the new one, Dreams of Paper and Ink. I might have to check it out. It's out on YouTube. Yeah, I reckon you'll get a kick out of it. It's very clever. Anyway, what's your next recommendation? Uh, my one, uh, I actually like. We, I was talking about SBS on demand earlier. Yeah, this movie is a, a movie that I caught on SBS on demand, and I was pleasantly surprised. Every now and then. Look, my sense of humor and the French sense of humor generally don't mix too well. Like yep. they're a lot more kind of slapstick farce, which I don't really enjoy. I don't really yep. enjoy farce. It's all <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's offensive. Uh, uh, so I always I always browse the French section on SBS on demand with a bit of trepidation, like you know. I love I love things like I used to read the comics of Lucky Luke and stuff like that. Jean Dujardin did a Lucky Luke movie. How, I hated it. How many times can you be slapped in the face with a baguette? Well, that's the yeah. Ask Monsieur Hulot. <laughs> uh, I but this movie this I but I came across this one. And I was like, it's, it's not often that you you do that they do release the kind of big budget French kind of action thriller movies. They yeah. don't tend to 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 come over. Here too no, often. they don't. But they do some really um, cool, weird fantasy films. But. They they do some fantastic stuff, and um, so I thought, oh, I'll check this one out. This looks interesting, and it, it's it's uh, it's called just a uh, is it just just a one more just a breath. Just <laughs> now, a, now before we recorded this uh, this episode, I looked this it morning, up three you, times. You said to me, "I'm going to pronounce it right. <laughs> I'm going to get the name wrong because uh, it's it's not listed. It's actually Dan's Dan's Labrum is or." Dan Labrum. You're going to have to visit our, our letterbox page to, to really find out what really it's called. It. But on SBS On Demand, and it's just a just a breath away. Okay, just is a what away. it's called. We'll, we'll go with the English title, uh, and that's what it's called on SBS On Demand. According according to the th- to IMDb in Australia, it's called Dan uh, Labrum, but uh, it is not. Okay, I beg to differ. IMDb. <laughs> um, and this movie stars uh, Roman Dury. Doris, uh, Olga Kurylenko, who must be possibly the most internationally versatile actress working today because she seems to appear in movies. She must be able to speak like five languages or something. She's just in movies from everywhere <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Uh, and she, she's really good. She's um, like the French version of Kerry Fox. Kerry Fox pops up in every country's yeah, movies. Or, and now, um, uh, <laughs> forgotten her name now. <laughs> Who's the one from Four Weddings and a Funeral? Not Andy McDowell, the sister. Oh, Kirsten's got Kirsten's Thomas. got Thomas. Yep. She pops up in, you know, she's in French movies a lot now. I know. She's in English movies. She's in, yeah, they're all like, you know, a lot of European cinema. But um, basically the story about this one is uh, Roman Doris and um, Olga Kurilenko are like a separated couple, but they live across the street from each other. And the reason they do is their daughter has this really weird... Um, condition, and they don't really go into too much detail other than the fact that the air can kill her. Mm. So she lives in this kind of like a cylinder thing where um, uh, that filters the air and everything has to go in. It's you know um, it's completely powered. It's a completely artificial um, kind of uh, existence, uh, not existence, uh, artificial environment. Yeah, and um, he wants them to move to Canada where they're doing work on. Potentially finding a cure because he's obsessed with one day he will be able to hug his daughter. Uh, and so they're kind of, you know, they're leading their kind of their normal lives. And then, you know, all of a sudden one day they, there's an 
they hear this kind of, there's an earthquake mm-hmm. in the middle of Paris. And, you know, they don't know what's going on. So they kind of look out. He goes out into the street to kind of see what's happened. Because all of a sudden, all the power shuts down. Everything kind of shuts down. And then all of a sudden, these people are just running the opposite way. So he runs as well. And there's this dust cloud that's kind of coming out of the ground. Yep. And so he gets back into his apartment and he and his wife, they run up to the top floor and they leave the daughter where she is because her thing is completely sealed off and sure. stuff. So she's fine. But anyone who breathes in any of this dust dies this as a, like a horrible wow. death. Yeah. And like on the top floor, so I'm guessing like the fifth floor of the hotel, of their building that they stay in, mm. the dust kind of just settles. Yep. And everything below it is pretty much dead. Everything above it is still alive. And they there's no communication. There's no nothing. Yeah. They don't know what the hell has happened. And it's about them, you know, as the days go past, they can they can kind of see other survivors on the roofs mm-hmm. of other kind of Parisian buildings and wow. at the Basiliska. There's like a ton of like thousands and thousands of survivors have kind of gathered on the Basiliska, but obviously there's no food. There's no water, and that slowly kind of disintegrates yep. into kind of chaos there, and there, and then of course they you add the ticking clock of now that the daughter now the daughter's uh, cylinder it's uh, it's running on backup batteries and they expire every ten hours. Right. So they've got to try and but they can't hold their breath long enough to go down three flights of stairs, change the battery, and make it back up with Far it before out. they suffocate. Yeah. And to, if that's not bad enough. <laughs> Every hour or so, the dust is level is rising. So th- there's multiple ticking clocks. Yeah, it's really good, like cool. a really tense kind of, and it is, it it is science fiction. I I, I la- I've dumped it into the science fiction section. I don't think SBS have put it into their science fiction section, at least not on the Fetch app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because it's very subtly science fiction. Mm-hmm. Like all of the stuff they've got is bit more kind of advanced than we have now. And certainly the, the biodome thing that the daughter lives in sure. is, is much more advanced. Um, well, I mean, the term science fiction is very broad. I think, you know, yeah. just, you know, generally speaking, we, we narrow it down to a very spacey or, you know, yeah, but overall, like, you know, I th- yeah, look, and there is, look, there is definitely, this is definitely set in the future. Yeah. Even though like the cars look the same and all that kind of stuff, the technology is definitely more yeah. advanced than it is now. But and it's you know, weird is also a bit of a stretch for this one. <laughs> but I was just I was I was totally taken back, t- taken aback by how much I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And even and there are some, you know, there are some logic plot holes. If you jump on the internet, people are very like the 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 IMDb reviews are all like seven out of ten with caveats of <laughs> why have they what what was the because they do kind of leave it. I mean, they don't leave you with any kind of, um, there's no like cliffhanger kind of ending. There's no, but they don't explain every aspect of everything. Yeah, right. They leave a lot of it up to you kind of your, your imagination in terms of the science behind what's happened. Um, but it is, it's cool. just really fascinating. Well, SBS can leave the check in the mail. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> done a good job spricking them. Uh, now a little bit of this and now let's wrap it up. Good Movie Monday is made possible with the support of people like Eulorium. Eulorium is a streaming platform for rare and obscure movies, and it's absolutely free. They also have a catalogue full of kids' flicks, classic movies, foreign cinema, and more. 
Visit viewlorium.com today to see what it's all about. I'm pretty sure, Ben, you can find some weird science fiction on Viewlorium. Um, yeah, get on there and have a look for some... There's certainly weird movies on there. <laughs> there certainly is. Hey, we're almost done for the show, and I think we've just established the fact that we kind of both missed the brief today. You know, weird is... uh, is... We should have just said sci-fi movies. (laughs) I really didn't need to put that word weird in front of it. No, because that would have been a whole different conversation. If we'd gone sci-fi movies, it would have been a whole different... It's uh... too... I mean... It's broad. Well, we're seeing as we... It is broad, but we missed the brief anyway. Yeah. So... (laughs) Yeah, it's like, you know, this this will narrow down the field, and we'll just ignore it. Yeah, that's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, let at me... least I did, at least I didn't talk about Valerian for, t- for, the, for the two hours of the show. <laughs> Here's some more uh, mindfuck movies uh, just to throw out there that maybe we could have talked about instead. Uh, so the Tetsuo trilogy, they're certainly fucked up and weird. John dies at the end. That's a pretty weird one. I like that one a lot. Um, have you heard of Phantasmagoria? Some some areas of the world it's the called um, Ghost. And the machine, not Ghost right. in the machine, but Ghost and the machine. It's very similar to Primer. Primer is another good one. Yep. Uh, Altered States. Yeah, that's a banger. That's one of the classic ones. Nearly every David Cronenberg movie. <laughs> I go along with that. I think you and I both agree. Existence is a banger. Fucking nice. Any movie that you can make a gun out of your teeth. Yeah. <laughs> that you pull out at dinner. And maybe the one that. Everybody should think of first when they think of weird science fiction movies would be The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension. Yeah, that movie is is so weird it's almost unlikable. Yeah, it's such a bizarre movie. But uh, He's a nuclear... What's he? Uh, uh, he's a, a top surgeon slash rock star slash nuclear physicist yeah. slash... Uh, Looks a know, bit Doctor Who-y. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, there we go. We've reached the end of another show. We could have also talked about Voyage of the Rock Aliens. That's oh, a great, yeah. weird we science fiction film. We always talk about Vicious film. Lips, don't we? We do always talk about Vicious Lips. Yeah, any movie that, for some reason, if you cross science fiction and music, then it becomes weird. It <laughs> and you put three tits in there and that's yeah. very weird. Uh, but no, I think you deserve most of the, uh, the credit for today's episode, mate, because not only did you come up with a theme, you made that interview happen and it's it's actually one of my favourite conversations we've had with a filmmaker. It was great, yeah. yeah. Gary's, a, Gary's a lot of fun to listen so, to. So Sons of Steel is on Blu-ray October 5th. So, um, yeah, as mentioned. Available from umbrellaent.com.au. Do us a favour, buy it from there. Don't buy it from JB. Well, you go to the Umbrella Ent one too, you get the the Beyond Genres, obviously, they both are. There's two versions, isn't there? There's the... there's a special edition, which comes with like a nuclear fallout t- uh, tote bag, some stickers. CD soundtrack. CD san- oh, the CD soundtrack's in both. Okay, uh, cool. A poster and booklet. But and... Uh, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of stuff. But um, And that know. one's limited, so get in, get it. Get it, get it while it's still available. But, you know, support the distributor rather than the retailer, i Damn say. straight. So, yes, the Umbrella website. Go there and grab a copy ASAP. Uh, of course, thank you to Gary because, um, yeah, it was so fun hanging out and chatting with him. And um, thanks to our regular bunch, Guillermo, Jarrett, the Boneheads. Also a bit of a shout-out to Chloe and Malzi who contribute to that which we do elsewhere on the socials and whatnot. Uh, and... Yeah, basically catch up with us on socials. Ben and I will be doing a video uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday, and then another one on Thursday. So join us there. But I'm going to close off with a song from one of our, one of the weirdest science fiction uh, properties, I guess you would say, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Certainly. Why didn't we talk about that?
Because I, I knew I had it at the end of the show. I forgot to take my babblefish. <laughs> so this is a song um, called Here I Am, Come and Take Me. It's the classic by Al Green, featured in the, the movie with Mar- Marty Freeman. Uh, it's a good one. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you on the socials and then next week. Next week. On the show. Blech.